Good morning, everyone. I was told that the guest preachers never remember to turn their microphone on, so I'm two for two now, so I'm off to a really good start. Uh, yeah, as Grant said, my name is Brady. I think uh, his golf uh, st- story was a little bit ex- exaggerated. I think if I am as good of a preacher as I am a golfer, half of you will be out of here uh, in the next five or ten minutes, so it will be that bad. Um, but yeah, so for some of you, I think I'm better known as Annie's dad, so Annie's right back there, a little uh, watermelon girl. And so we are just, I point her out because uh, she was born in February, about three months early. And Redeemer Church has gathered around my wife, Sarah, and I, uh, really in a way that I will never, will never forget. You know, I was thinking about it uh, a few weeks ago and uh, when I was planning and prepping to, to come and teach and just to say thank you to you guys for praying for us, for the food and the DoorDash gift cards and the words of encouragement. Um, you know, who knows where we'll be in five years, ten years, but we'll always look back on when she was born and be really, really thankful for you guys in so many different ways. So, so yeah, she is doing great now, and uh, she's like 10 or 11 pounds probably and doing great, and uh, other than the 4 a.m. crying, she's doing awesome. So, but I think after a 70-day NICU stay, I think we're pretty, we learn to be pretty thankful for the 4 a.m. crying. So, Seriously, thank you guys from, from, my, from Sarah and myself and our family. We, just, we, we cherish Redeemer, and we're thankful to be members here. So uh, as I start, I wanted to share a little bit about my story. I think it's helpful sometimes to know a little bit where the guy talking is coming from, and it, it weaves in a little bit to the text we're going to look at uh, this morning. Uh, I grew up uh, just south of Dallas a little ways. Uh, First Baptist Midlothian was my church home. It's another church I'm really, really thankful for. Parents brought me to church from a young age. It was very important to, to our family and to me. Uh, and I went off to college where I had that first Sunday morning where you wake up on Sunday. Maybe you wake up, maybe you sleep in. But you have to ask yourself, okay, am, am I, I going to get up and go to church today? This is the question all college students that are away from home have to, have to answer. Uh, I had to say and think, okay, do I believe this stuff uh, because my parents took me to church or do I believe it because it's true for me personally and I really, really do trust in this for myself, and thankfully it went deeper than just surface level, and uh, I got involved uh, with the BSM at, at college from, a, from an early age, and uh, took on a variety of opportunities for ministry there, and my junior year, my best friend and roommate comes up, comes up to me and says, hey Brady, uh, I am dating this girl, and I love her, and I want to get married to her, but she's Catholic, and I don't know what to do about that. Will you help me? And I said, I don't, what does that mean? What do you mean, will I help you? And so he began to go to classes where they would teach him uh, the Catholic catechism. They, they would try to tell him, hey, this is what the church believes, and this is why you should become a Catholic. And so I said, okay, well, whatever they give you, just get two copies, and I'll read it with you, and we'll talk about it together. And so that's what we did. And uh, as I read through some of the materials, it was basically Catholic apologetics. It was some of the first uh, theology that I read was why you should be a Catholic. And uh, I did not find it convincing, as you might imagine. I'm teaching at a Baptist church this morning. And I would have kind of three responses as I, was, as I would read through this stuff. You know, some, sometimes I would read some things and I'd say, hey, we're in agreement here. This is, this is in line with what the Bible says to the best of my understanding of it. Uh, I'd read a second group of things and I would say, okay, uh, this is different, but I don't know. Maybe the Bible doesn't speak into this as much, or maybe this could be true. You know, there were some things that were maybe a little bit more neutral. And then I would read a third group of things, and I'd say, okay, whoa, this is really different than than my understanding of what the Bible says. And 
I, I began to ask a question that I had never really thought about before, which is, why believe this stuff? Because the Bible says it. I think I had grown up in church. I had been steeped in church culture, and the, the assumption had been, well, the Bible says it. It's true. I, I never stopped to ask the question, should I trust? And I'm, I'm putting so much faith and trust, yes, of course, in Jesus, but in what the Bible says about him. Is that, can the Bible hold up to some scrutiny? And is it worth basing my life on, its teachings of, of Jesus and the gospel? And I started to go to my BSM director, and we would talk about that. Bye, Annie. We would talk about that. And uh, yeah, and he, we would talk about the inspiration of Scripture. What does it mean? When we say the Bible was inspired by God, what does that actually mean? Is uh, the Bible trustworthy and true? I talk about the, the formation of the canon. How did we get the books that we have? These are questions, again, that I had just never thought that deeply about. And I became convinced of the Bible's truthfulness and that I can trust it. And uh, that was what kind of led to the calling of ministry for me, is that those conversations led me to realize and understand I like trying to help people answer some of these tough questions and walk through tough spiritual challenges. Well, this morning I want to talk about a component of my story, and that is how should we as Christians think about and understand the Bible? Getting a better understanding of what, of what Scripture says is crucial to knowing God. It's indispensable to knowing God as He has revealed Himself to us. It's quite easy for us, I think, to conjure up ideas of what God is like based on all kinds of different things in our life, whether it be personal experience, uh, maybe something that, that we feel as though God has spoken to us in a, in a certain way. But it's in the words of Scripture that we have the authoritative final word on those things. It's the thing that we can use and we have to measure against some of the, maybe perhaps the experiences or other things that uh, God has done and worked in our life. We say, okay, does this line up with, with the Bible? Well, uh, the Bible is the story about what God has done for us in Christ and in, in the gospel and what he would call us to do and believe. So I thought to think about that question and to examine that a little bit more, we might look at Psalm 119. It's kind of a rhythm at Redeemer to look at the Psalms a little bit over the summer. So if you want to start turning to Psalm 119, it's really long and really big. So if you just crack up right to the middle, you're going to be probably pretty close. So if that's helpful. So there's a lot of places in Scripture where the Bible is self-referential, where it's talking about itself and saying this is what Scripture is. But Psalm 119, we get a long, long look uh, about, about the Word of God. What is the Word of God? And so Psalm 119 is helpful. So before I read, I want you to think about that for yourself. If I was to ask you to play a word association game with the Bible, and I, and I said the Bible is blank, or this is what I think about the Bible, fill in the blank, what are some words or phrases that, that you might use? And I, I thought about a couple that, that I might say. I also uh, compiled a little list of maybe things I've heard on campus uh, of, of maybe non-believers say. So th these are some, some things that I thought up, maybe some, fr some phrases and some words that pe people, people might plausibly say about the Bible. Uh, holy, divine, sacred, religious text, from God, uh, the basic instructions before leaving earth, Anyone? Anyone? Some of you will get that later today. Oh, wow. Rules, law, Ten Commandments, story, myth, empowering, oppressive, life-giving, truth, evil, God's words. Here's one that I heard last semester on campus. Primitive and gullible people trying to understand their world. And there are many, many more. I, maybe I hit a couple that you think. Maybe there's some that I didn't say. There's many more that we could say. Well, let's look at the first 24 verses together. Uh, we'll look at what does the Bible say about itself and how ought we to view it. So as you're reading this, think about what is it claiming for itself. And this is a pretty long reading. 
I thought about reading the whole thing, but then I wouldn't get invited back because it's really, really long and the children's ministry would burn the place down and it would just be chaos. So we'll just read 24. So millennials and Gen Z in here, we've got to focus our attention spans, okay? I'm with you, okay? Uh, but I'm, I'm with you on this. We've got to focus in. Let's read uh, the first 24 verses of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have com- commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways might be, may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having, fixed, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With your lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away my scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Okay, let me pray and we'll jump back in. Father, thank you so much for a few minutes to to look in and study your word. Pray that this time would be edifying for us, would be encouraging for us. I know as as I read that list, Lord, I just just think, wow, I, I know in so many ways I fall short of viewing your word this high and lofty. So Lord, we ask that you would use this time to help us love your word more and thus love you more in light of it. We thank you for this time. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, didn't read the whole thing. I'm going to jump through a lot of it. We'll look all throughout it. I think I'll, I'll read quite a few more verses throughout the talk, but um, I wanted to start there. I've got, I've got two primary things that I want us to look at together. Number one, how is Scripture described here? What, what specific words are used, and what does that tell us about it? Uh, and the second part is what kind of a response to God's Word is modeled for us here in the text one thing for us to say, okay, here's what it says. It's another thing to say, okay, well, what is going to be different about my life in light of it? So that's pretty simple, but that's where we're going. So number one, how is scripture described here? So New Testament scholar D.A. Carson gave a talk on this psalm, and I think he really helpfully ordered it. And I'm going to use kind of his structure here. He made some observations, and so I'll start with just some of his ideas here. So there are at least, in this section that I read, there are at least nine synonyms used for scripture. So it's a little tricky because it could be more or less depending on your translation, right? It might use some subtly different words. But the point is, even though some of the meanings are close, I think it's kind of like a kaleidoscope, giving us a different look at maybe different aspects of what the Bible is that one word might not fully articulate. And so we're going to look at a lot of these different ones. And I think it, hopefully it'll challenge us because I think left to ourselves. We kind of tend to view it just through maybe one or two lenses, but it's a lot more holistic than that. And I think that's instructive and helpful for us. So I'll elaborate on a couple here and there, and then some of them I'll just blur right past. So that's, that's intentional. 
So uh, uh, looking just at the very first one in verse 1, we see the law of the Lord is what it's referred to as. When we uh, think of this, we think of a demand made by a government, when we think of a law. Uh, but the word law, uh, Torah in Hebrew, is broader than that. So in the Bible, uh, the law might sometimes refer to uh, the instruction from God. Sometimes it just refers to the first five books uh, of, the, of the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes that, that is just simply the law of the Lord. All of it put together is God's instruction to us. Uh, the second word that you see in verse 2 is testimony. Some translations might say statutes there, but we see testimony. Uh, the idea here is that God has borne witness of himself through the, his revelation of himself in the Bible. We often use the word, you and I, we use the word testimony to talk about what God has done in our lives. Well, the Bible is God's testimony about what he's done in history. Uh, and at its pinnacle, we see the work of Christ in the gospel and his coming, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. This uh, is his story about the way he's worked can be found in Scripture. The Baptist Faith and Message, I think, helpfully says this at the very end of its section on Scripture. It says that all Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who himself is the focus of divine revelation. Maybe put another way of saying that more simply is that all Scripture ultimately points us to Christ. For parents in the room, I've been reading, and Sarah and I have been reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to Annie, so she's well on her way to being a Bible scholar. And uh, it, it helpfully articulates this point. It's just over and over again at the end of, especially the Old Testament stories, uh, it'll tell you the story and at the very end it'll talk about how and in what way does this maybe foreshadow or uh, tell us about the coming of Christ. Um, so there's a lot in scripture that we could look at on this. I've got just a couple here. Uh, listen to, to Jesus in John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And just a little bit later in the same discourse in verse 46, it says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So Jesus is explicitly claiming, yeah, that Old Testament stuff, that's actually ultimately about me. Maybe my favorite verse on this can be found in Luke 24, is Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, when he reveals himself to several of his disciples. Uh, verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I know what you might be thinking, or I think I know what you might be thinking. Okay, Brady, I'm reading through Judges on my Bible plan, and there's seven chapters of land division. They're dividing up the land. How is this, how is this pointing me to Christ? What is this really about? Well, there's, that's a whole other sermon to fully answer that question, but one way that you might go about answering that, how is it that the Old Testament even the kind of obscure to us and strange parts, how do those point us to Christ? Uh, like I said, whole other sermon, but you might say, the simple answer would be to say that the law is there, it points us, it shows us just how great the holiness of God is and how fall short of that you and I fall. Um, we were all born uh, in, in the image of God, but that, that image has been shattered by sin and we were born with that need. We all have dignity and worth, but um, we also need a Savior. That's what the gospel says. It's, it's, the gospel is the story of what Jesus came to do, what we couldn't do for ourselves. Uh, came, he, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God to set us free from the penalty of sin and free from the power of sin for those of us who would trust in him. And then he calls us uh, to go back into the world and declare that gift of salvation, declare his kingdom to the, to the whole world. So moving forward in, in, in my third one, in verse four, we see the word precepts. 
precepts. These are particular instructions that are to be totally obeyed. And verse 15 says that we ought to meditate on these precepts. So this is beyond just simple compliance. It's beyond just simple acknowledgement, but we're to meditate. We're to think about this. I think one thing that's helpful to do is to think about why is this even in here? Nothing in scripture, despite our limited understanding, nothing is in there arbitrary arbitrarily. God didn't just say, oh, well, I guess I'll just put that in there. It's in there for a reason. I think we know that, but I think it's easy just to fly past some things sometimes. So we're to meditate on these things. Many of us just think, oftentimes we're prone to think that God's rules are just a, a list that God just kind of put in there to, to hold, maybe to hold out on us, or maybe we think of God as being really, really stingy. Uh, and we just, we look at these rules and we're thinking, man, these are just so silly. If you are an older sibling in the room, you know this concept. If you've ever done, played a game with a younger sibling, you would make the rules deliberately really, really intricate because you knew the younger sibling would have no chance of doing it, of the fulfilling those rules and those laws. And some of us think that God is like that. We look at what God says and we think he's stingy or at worst, or worse than that, that he's holding out on us. That's the number one lie the devil tells us. And that, you can read about that in Genesis 3. So in that regard, he's not doing anything new. This notion of, of making our own precepts, of us trying to say, well, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to go this way. I'm going to make the rules the way that I see fit. That happens in many ways. And for some of us, it, it, some of the things that you're tempted to, to do like that, I might think that's silly, but you might think the same thing about some of the things that I'm, that I'm tempted to do that. One way that our culture just loves, loves to do this is in the area of sex. So we, we say, eh, did God really say that? A God, surely a God of love wouldn't want to restrict my love to marriage between a man and a woman. That's just an outdated, archaic idea that, again, a bunch of primitive people put together to try to understand their world. Surely God wouldn't want that. My God is a God of love. Well, see, sex in the Bible is like a fire. It's a gift to be enjoyed within the right boundaries. Are any of you campers? Have you ever made, built a fire? What happens if you build a fire without any proper barriers around the fire? It's not going to go very well, is it? You're going to start a forest fire and Smokey the Bear is not going to be happy. You get burned. So God actually isn't bad. He's actually gracious for telling us, for creating something and saying, hey, within the right context, this is a beautiful, incredible gift. But, when, but, but take those boundaries off and it, everything falls apart and you're going to get burned. And so God is actually loving. So the, create, the, the premise here is that the creator gets to decide what the creation is for. And he's not stingy or mean to, to give us that. In fact, he's loving and caring to give us that. Moving ahead, number four, uh, decrees. Again, sometimes, again, it's the, word, the synonyms here are weird, so sometimes it's statutes. These are judicial judgments that God has enacted. Here, we, we might have a bit more of like a proclamation in mind. And numerous times we get instruction to read the word out loud. So even though I read 24 verses, and by 20 you were probably just drifting off, uh, that's actually taught in the Bible that we should do that. Numerous times we get instruction to read the word out loud. You can see this back uh, in Ezra, reading the Old Testament to the people in Nehemiah 8.3. He read, it said, from morning to midday. That's some serious commitment. I wonder uh, how many of us would have stayed locked in for that. I, don't, I probably would have drifted off, if I'm being honest. You thought 24 verses was a lot, right? <laughs> so, number five, we see commands here. We see this in verse six. It's pretty straightforward, but the thing I wanted to note here about this word commands, I'm going back to a point I made earlier, is that this is just one of nine words used here. And I think a lot of people in our culture just think, when they think of what is the Bible, commands, it's laws, it's things God tells me to do. Well, as Christians, we need to be able to learn and grow to articulate that the Bible is not just a list of commands that God tells us to do, right? This is, it's telling us what God has done for his people and for those who would place their faith and trust in him. 
I don't think there's any way sometimes, sometimes we read the Bible, and quite frankly, even those of us that are believers, sometimes we read things and we say, man, that's tough. I, you know, we, we tend to think, man, my life might be a little bit easier. It'd be easier to talk to my non-Christian friend if I didn't have to worry about that section. Again, God is actually good for telling us these things. If we read the Bible and there's never anything in it that causes us to say, oh, I don't know about that, then we're just, and we just try to correct it to uh, fit everything that we wanted to believe anyway, it's probably not God that we're worshiping. It's, a, it's, it's, our, it's ourselves. It's a figment of our imagination that we're creating in God's image. So God's word will sometimes cause us to say, man, I don't know, because in our sin, we think we ought to know better. And we, think that we often think that we do know better. Uh, six is ordinances. These are uh, decrees, decisions from a perfect judge, and God is a perfect judge. Uh, seven, the, the word, the word, word. Perhaps the most common uh, word for the Bible in the Bible is his word. God is a talking, speaking God who uses words to communicate to us. I don't have time to, to camp out here for too long, but it's not insignificant that God is a God of words. When, this is why when we pray, we speak back. As Christians, we pray, we speak back to God with words. Sure, of course, there is time, and it's good to sit quietly before the Lord and listen carefully to it. But there's a reason that, that God communicates us to us in words. He is not an impersonal God. This is why in Eastern, in Eastern religions that, that pray to and worship an immaterial, impersonal God, they, they just do, maybe perhaps do chants, right? They say, um, or they, they make a humming noise. They're not actually articulating words. They're articulating some sort of emotion. But we know that God is a personal God. So that's why we speak to him in words. Again, the implications to that are huge. And I don't have time. That's another sermon for another time. But yeah, maybe I'll do that next time. Okay, so the last one I have here is promise. God's word is his promise to us of what he has done, is doing, and will do. And God is a God who keeps his promise. And when he says it'll be done, It'll be done. You can take it to the bank. Look at him, uh, look at Jesus and his life predicting his death, his resurrection. And if he can keep that promise, then there's no promise too big for him to keep. So some of these promises are so great and wonderful, but the greatest one has already been kept. And that's Jesus rising from the dead. So in, in review here of those, of those uh, ones that I listed, law of the Lord, testimony, precepts, decrees, commands, ordinances, word, and promise, all are used here and are important for us to think about what is the Bible. So I want to shift to part two. I think this one will be a little bit quicker. Uh, what kind of a response to God's word is modeled for us? I did some research online, and I found a helpful kind of breakdown of this from uh, author D, uh, Kevin DeYoung. So I'm going to use his structure, and, and we'll run through this quickly. Uh, so what do Christians do when they feel and believe and think rightly about the word of God? Number one, uh, they sing. Okay, so you can, see, you can see this in verse 172. My tongue will sing of your word, for all of your commandments are right. And notice it isn't sing if you sound good. Okay? It's not sing if you like the song. Okay? It's personally, it hurts my feelings. Uh, sing if the worship leader is as talented as Bono. Okay? I don't read any of that. Bono was a singer, guys. Wikipedia, that, or Spotify, you, this band called U2, okay, if you're young. Next, they speak. Number two, they speak. Uh, verse 13, 46, here's 79. I'll read 79 for you. They speak. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. I think about Romans 10, which says, how are, how are people going to hear God's word unless someone, it says preaches to them, but how are they going to hear, how are people going to know the word of God unless we speak it to them? So we rightly speak the word of God in love, both to each other as 
means of edification and encouragement, and certainly to the lost. They study. Number three, they study. Uh, verse 15, 48, 97. I'm going to read 148. It says, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Closely related to this would be number four. They store up. 16, 83. Let me read 93 for you. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I read a verse in there that I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the most powerful means that we have for confronting and fighting sin is answering our inclination to sin or our temptations, answering them with, well, what does God's word say about this? So memorizing it can help us so much in that. And I, again, this is one of those things that I say, man, I'm just so bad at memorizing scripture. But the problem and where I get guilt tripped is I can tell you, I could probably tell you the entire Switchfoot lyric catalog but I don't, I can't, I, I find something in me that's resisting memorizing and meditating on God's word. It's because, quite frankly, at times I love the world more than I love God's word. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us are there. Uh, I've had so many students throughout my time uh, uh, doing college ministry that say, well, I'm just not any good at memorizing it. It's like, well, you can quote all of the office to me. So the problem isn't really with your memorization, right? That's actually not the issue. And again, I'm not coming at it from a place of guilt. Again, this is a, meant to be an encouragement. This is meant to say, wow, yeah, God's word here really is viewed so lofty. And I think we should look at it and say, man, I fall short, but now I'm going to pray for God's help in this. And I'll get to that at the end. of. I'm getting ahead of myself. Ver, uh, number five, they obey the word. Ooh, obey. There's a word my college students love to hear. That's what we all love to hear, right? I'm going to call to actually obey this stuff. Obey. Let's just, just think about this. I, Eight, I'm going the verses. These are at least, there could be even more. 8, 44, 57, 129, 145, 146, 167 through 168. I mean, it's all over this. And it's all over the rest of the Bible that we're called to obey it. We shouldn't shy away from that. Again, it's, we're called to obey it for our good. We need to keep that in mind. Uh, verse uh, 167, 168. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts testimony for all my ways are before you number six i'll move forward they pray they praise god 62 let me read 171 for you my lips will for, pour, pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes we ought to tell each other we ought to celebrate what god is doing in our life again similar to singing but again i mentioned earlier i think for some of us the singing thing kind of comes natural i, I know a lot of people that drive it around in their car they like to sing really really loud it's a worship music and it stirs your affections for the lord for some of you, you're like, nah, I'm not really a music guy. That's not my thing. Find something that will cause you to rejoice and praise God. Maybe it's walking around a park. Maybe it's, uh, I would say going outside, but it's just so hot. Maybe you can find a way to, maybe, maybe you can find a way to praise God for 100 degree temperature day after day. You're more holy than me if you, if you do that. Number seven, they pray for help. I won't read all the verses here because we'd be going for a long time. Again, modeled here so much it's praying for help. Let me read verses 153 through 160 for you about praying for help. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. How many people in our culture would say, yeah, man, the Bible, it's a life-giving book. I don't, think, I don't think many. As Christians, we're called to view it that way. We're not called to look at it through a lens of negativity and, hey, this is, just so, this is such a burden. No, look at that. I mean, give me life according to your rules. 
What a paradigm shift that rules would be a good thing. Verse 157, I'll continue. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless, faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Well, to close, to close I just want you to reflect on this. You know, to what degree does my life and does the way that I approach God's word line up to this lofty standard? I, I know mine falls well short at times. This was one of those sermons where you go, oh man, I'm not really going to preach that. I need to do that. <laughs> I need to do that more. I'm going to number these off back off to you. I'm going to say these again for us. Sing, speak, study, store up. I might say memorize. Obey, praise, and pray for help. And, you know, interestingly, the only way we can do the first six is if we do number seven, if we pray for help. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of times in my life where I've evaluated where I feel like I am spiritually, how my walk with the Lord is going. I'm talking with friends that, that, that see my life and know me. I'm talking with Sarah. And I say, man, I'm just, I'm falling so short of this. So let me just, and what I, what I do, if I'm not thinking like this, what I do is, Okay, I'm going to do a Bible reading plan. I'm going to pray this time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to do all of it. And I get about two weeks in, and I say, oh, messed up again. Didn't do it this week. Didn't do it today. Haven't done it for five days, whatever the case may be. And I look back and think, I never once asked God to help me with that. I just white-knuckled my way through it. I said, okay, I'm doing this. I got this on my own. What pride and hubris we need help. We cannot do any of this stuff without the help of the Lord, the help of the Holy Spirit uh, willing us and, and enlivening us to his word, making us love it, making us look at it the way that Psalm 119 tells us that it is. So I've spent too much time trying to white knuckle my way back into God's grace. And, uh, and the reality is it, for those of us who have trusted and placed our faith and trust in Christ, uh, there's no condemnation. This isn't a this isn't one of those sermons that you're meant to go home and be like, oh man, I really stink. If you're a Christian, you, you already have acceptance in Christ. You already have the love of God on you. And God calls us in, back into a deeper and deeper relationship with him. And I think that happens chiefly and primarily through his word. So that's, my, that's your big takeaway, I hope, is that for those of us who are believers, we can have faith and trust that we have acceptance in Christ, but we're called into deeper and deeper intimacy with him. And I hope that, that this uh, time has been helpful towards that end. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, be, we'll, we'll wrap this time up. Father, thank you so much uh, for a little bit of time to, to look at your word. Thank you for Psalm 119. Thank you for the ways that it maybe corrects us in some of our own faulty ways of thinking, that we can look at it and, yeah, see, quite frankly, see a lofty goal, see something that is um, on our own impossible. So, Lord, we just confess how much we need your help, how much on our own we are incapable of, of doing this, incapable of loving you even. So, Lord, we just thank you that, that you have worked uh, so magnificently and amazingly in the gospel that we have uh, love and hope, we have forgiveness of sin, and now uh, we have a restored relationship with you. And we can walk with you and know you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. I pray that uh, as we continue to move forward, for those of us, wherever we are on our journey, um, as Micah says, I'm so thankful for, the, as Micah says, the gray hairs. That's his, that's his term, not mine. Thankful for Micah and for thankful for the gray hairs that, that modeled this love for your word so well for us in this church and in the church in general. And we just ask that that model would be, would be an encouragement 
I pray for those in this room that maybe you're really young in their faith and they hear this and they just think, man, that just sounds so impossible. It sounds so impossible. I pray that they would know that uh, this is a journey and it does take time, that uh, it's okay if you're 15 and you're not as mature as a 40-year-old, that's okay. And I just ask, Lord, that you would, uh, those of us that are younger in the room in our faith, that we would be uh, humble and be willing to sit under the, the wisdom of those who are a little bit ahead of us. And Lord, that you would use um, those who are more mature in their faith to, to encourage us to grow. And I know I need that just as much as anybody. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. I pray that it's been edifying and encouraging. We love you. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.